Oh, I love the kind of program you are about to hear. I love it because it's unscripted, it's real, it's raw, it's messy, it's it's life. And it showcases not us pulling ourselves up to become acceptable to God. I think that's what a lot of people in the in society, oh, Christians, yeah, they, these are good people. They've done this and that and the other thing, so God will like them. It's not about us pulling ourselves up. It's about God reaching down and giving us what we don't deserve, what we could never earn, and changing us from the inside out. It's about transformation. Brian's story of transformation is straight ahead. And if you have somebody in your life who is addicted, whose inner struggles and hurt are leaking out onto everybody around them, friend, don't give up and don't stop praying. Brian Rucker is ready to tell his story and we'll hear it on today's edition of Chris Fabry Live, the program from the heart to the heart for the heart. Let me thank our team behind the scenes. Ryan McConaughey is doing all things technical. Trish is our producer. Tahir is in the chair. Laura will be answering your calls today. And thank the other people behind the scenes, those who give a gift to keep these conversations going. Real quickly, I have to tell you about Greg. He sent me this yesterday. Saving Grayson popped into my Audible library this morning. I'm halfway through, and then he gives me a thumbs up. Really enjoying it. I'm a truck driver, and Tuesdays are generally the only day I'm driving local. I'm not driving local, so I'm going from northwest Oregon to central Oregon. I was disappointed when I had to stop and make some deliveries. (laughs) I should finish on my trip back this afternoon. Thank you for writing this, he says, exclamation point. And then he says something that I'm hearing a lot, your personal brush with the disease. Greg says, I lost my dad to Alzheimer's four years ago. It's certainly a terrible disease, but it's not all gloom and doom. I'm grateful for the eight years we had to say goodbye. I have a lot of wonderful memories from that time. Thank you again, Greg. I wrote that story, Saving Grayson, for Greg, even though I didn't know him at the time, and others who have been walking through this hard journey that rings out like a dish rag and isolates you to show you that you are seen. I also wrote it for the rest of us who know somebody with Alzheimer's, but it's not our daily regimen, to show exactly what Greg said. It's not all gloom and doom. Is it hard? Absolutely excruciating at times. Is God's grace evident? Yes. That's why I titled it Saving Grayson. (laughs) Now you know. Because there is grace even here where a man is asking, can God forgive the sins I can't remember? Our thank you this month is the novel Saving Grayson. I want to send you the paperback edition, the soft cover. You can hear me read it like Greg did if you go to the audio book, but we only have the paperback available as a thank you. So click through today, chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org, or can call the number 866-95-FABRY. Would love to send you a copy of this, 866-953-2279. Thanks for your support and uh, for coming alongside us and helping us do what we do like having a conversation with the man, the myth, the legend, Brian Rucker. We've talked about the white chair films here, the I Am Second films. And I saw one that Brian did where he said that he should be dead or in prison. Instead, I get to talk to him today. I'm not going to tell you any more about him. We're going to let him tell his story. Brian, get on in here. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well, Chris, man. (laughs) 
okay, so let's start with Houston. You grew up in Houston. Tell me about where you grew up in Houston and what it was like. Yeah, so I grew up on the north side of Houston, uh, and I, I grew up in an all-black community. And, uh, you know, where I was living, it was, uh, we basically call it the projects. I mean, it's the government housing and uh, it was just uh, gang activity, narcotics dealing, uh, prostitution. I, I mean, all kinds of things happening all the time. And uh, I used to watch shows when I was a kid, like uh, Full House, Family Matters, and things like that. And then I would walk outside my apartment, and I would see life as it was, and I would see life inside my apartment and realize that, where I lived was just vastly different than any of that stuff that I saw on TV. It made me feel like all of that was just fake. And so uh, I, I grew up uh, without my dad, uh, never knew him, uh, with just my mom and my grandmother in a two-bedroom apartment in the back of the projects. And um, and so without having a dad or anything, just living there, uh, the people that I looked up to were gang members and drug dealers. And so naturally, uh, with that being the only uh, strong male influence in my life, that's just what I aspired to be. And so uh, the first time uh, I seen someone get gunned down, I was nine years old. And that's a pretty tough reality to come to uh, at such an early age is that, man, you can die out here. And so, um, you know, that's kind of the neighborhood that I'm from there in Houston. Did you, when you went to school, were you good at school, not good at school, not interested? What, what, did, what did studying and reading and going to school mean to you? Well, it's actually, a, it's actually pretty interesting because my mom and my grandmother uh, would use other people's addresses that we knew uh, from me going to karate. So I was in Taekwondo whenever I was real young, and we made friends. Uh, with people that went to school in a different school district, and they would use their addresses so that I could actually go to school in a better neighborhood than the school that was at my neighborhood. Uh, so I actually really enjoyed school because uh, going there, even though it was very diverse, it was still a little bit different of environment than what I would see at home. Uh, and, and then that, that created a bit of a interesting dynamic because I would, uh, get up in the morning, my mom or my grandmother would drive me to school and uh, I would be around a certain group of people. And then, uh, I, after school, I would normally go to one of the friend's houses and then they would pick me up and bring me back to our apartments in my neighborhood. And, uh, and it would just be uh, a whole different world. Uh, you know, I can't say that I was necessarily like super invested in school. Uh, I was always really smart. I heard that old saying like, man, you're just such a smart kid if you would just apply yourself, uh, you know. And so, uh, but that's that's kind of like what school was like for me. It was, it was somewhat of an escape, uh, but it was also uh, one of those things where I knew I would have to go back to the reality uh, when, when this is over. So it, it was just one of those things. Any teacher ever make a big impression on you? 
Uh, not that I recall, especially in early childhood. Now, as I got a little bit older into my teens, uh, I had a science teacher one time that told me by the time I was 21 years old, I would be dead or in prison for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that is the only teacher impression that I truly remember. Um, now, I was impressioned by uh, the instructors at the Taekwondo Academy that I went to. Uh, there was a couple of men there that uh, seemed to always want what's best for me and try to pour into me. Uh, but the culture was just vastly different. Like, I, there was never nobody talking to me about God or Jesus uh, or anything like that. It was just more about guys trying to promote positivity in my life. Yeah. What did you think about God and Jesus when you were a kid? That it was a man-made uh, concept and that it wasn't real. Uh, you know, I didn't never have that type of uh, impression put on me uh, from my family uh, or anything like that. You know, my mom and my grandma, they would uh, mention God. And what I mean by mention God is you would hear them say God, but that's about the extent of it. Like there was never nobody talking to me about it. And so uh, whenever I did hear about God or whenever I heard about uh, some kids go into uh, a church to uh, hang out for like a youth group. I just was very like against it, almost, almost to the point of I'm I'm smarter than to believe that. Yes, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And th- then there there are more things that happen in Brian's life that I want you to hear about. And if uh, if you feel like you're too far from God for him to uh, come into your life to try and transform you, I want you to listen. If you know somebody who you think there's no way that this person will ever respond, I want you to hear Brian's story because there's transformation straight ahead on Moody Radio. Our guest today at the Radio Backyard Fence is Brian Rucker. And if you want to see that I Am Second video that he did, we have it linked. You can go there and watch it. But I want you to hear the rest of the story because Brian's a smart kid, but he doesn't have a lot of opportunities. No dad around. His He looks up to the, you know the people that are gang leaders, drug dealers in the neighborhood there in Houston where he grew up. And we're about to get him in trouble. Um, so when was when was the first time that you remember, boy, this is, I mean, at nine, you saw somebody shot and killed. So, I mean, that, that was a stark thing. But what about your own life? What choices did you make that started your downward sl- spiral? Well, so, you know, around 11 years old, I started just kind of messing around, selling a little bit of weed and smoking a little bit of weed by the time I was 12. Uh, I'd started, moved up to selling some crack cocaine and things like that. And, it, you know, you, people hear that and they're like, oh, well, man, how did you get involved? It, it was just too easy. It was right outside the door. It was on the corner every time I, I walked up to the corner store at the front of the apartments to get a Snickers bar. It, it was just ever-present 
in in every aspect. And so I just started doing those things. That's whenever, uh, you know, I got involved with the gang, was at 12 years old. Uh, my mom ended up getting put in the hospital when I was 12, and she didn't get out until I was nearly 13. She would have a tumor, and then another one would develop, and then they would go in and remove that, another one would develop. Uh, and then they eventually send her home. And uh, on December 19th, whenever I was 13 years old, I went to wake her up one morning, and she had passed away. And after that, I just became extremely angry. And less than six months later, uh, I get arrested for the first time uh, for an aggravated robbery with a deadly weapon charge. And I'm supposed to do nine months in Texas Youth Commission, which is basically, you know, prison for juveniles. And I turn nine months into two and a half years. Uh, I start a gang while I'm in there, get into a lot of fights, just continuously do things that are going to get you more time or or what we call recertified and things like that. So uh, 13, uh, you know, I, I commit a robbery, end up locked up from 13 years old to 16 years old. And so that's kind of where it went from. So after my mom passed away, it went from, uh, you know, me just in this neighborhood, just doing stuff that I shouldn't. To uh, Now I, I don't care about anything and I'm hostile and just beyond crazy. It sounds like you were, you know, if I look at you objectively, you're just angry. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of hurt. There's, a, you know, abandonment from your dad, and then your mom dies, and you don't believe in God, but if you did, you'd hold him responsible. You know, it's, it's why are you doing right. this to me? So you're just you're just kind of this uh, this storm of, of anger that's looking for a way to work itself out. Yeah. Well, and then I was also uh, really afraid. You know, you I felt like I was— having to fight for my life every single day. Uh, and, you know, now that I'm a counselor and I look back and and I've really done a lot of intensive trauma work just on myself to be able to, you know, be who I am today, uh, I realize how much of that is actually true, just the abandonment issues, the grief, the loss, uh, the insecurity, and everything else just piled into being this uh, version uh, of a person that only did things to destroy himself and anybody around him. Yeah. There's the spoiler alert. So he's just, he just gave away that, that he's now a counselor, but there's more, there's more to the story and I want you to, to listen to it. But, but I see this so often, Brian, that the, the wound in our childhood, the wound in our life, this thing that was meant to keep us down and keep us locked away is the very thing that God takes and redeems. It's like a caterpillar that turns into a butterfly. It is, that's the thing that he uses to bring life, not only to you and for you, but then for other people. Oh, yeah. You know, I've always told people like this, God is actively working to turn our burdens into blessings. You know, Jesus didn't come and die on a cross just to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And so, you know, it's one of those things where that is what he is doing is taking those those hurtful things and and making them a helpful thing, something to uh, move us closer to him. 
So when you get out at 16 and there's your mom's not there, is your grandmother still alive at that point? Yeah, yeah. So my grandma's alive. Uh, you know, she she would come and visit me, and you know, she was in my life and and everything. My grandma was always my rock. She was there. Uh, you know, she she uh, she definitely allowed me to do some things that that I wouldn't uh, necessarily advise, and and she wasn't your typical grandma either. Uh, but you know, so she was there, and uh, and she's she was my primary caregiver uh, during that time when I got out. Uh, but, you know, while I was incarcerated, I had made some connections with uh, some cartel uh, members. And, and uh, by the time I was 17, I was making over just $60,000 a month selling drugs. Uh, I had a pipeline from Houston to Columbia, South Carolina, and uh, everything just started moving very rapidly. It's like I got out. I had these attentions of, like, going to high school, get a real diploma, you know, get a job. And... None of that panned out, and less than two weeks later, I'm back uh, selling drugs and, and participating in gang activity, and then ultimately led to me moving large quantities of drugs uh, up to $60,000 a month. Yeah. So did you eventually get caught then? Well, never got actually got caught uh, for drugs. Uh, what ended up happening is just before I turned 18 years old, uh, while I was still 17, I ended up getting involved and arrested on a gang-related shooting uh, in which an individual lost their life. And so uh, literally my 18th birthday, I'm sitting in jail uh, looking at a murder rap and uh, spending the rest of my life in prison. Was that the low point? Was that the as low as you got? Uh, unfortunately, no. I mean, that was the point when I realized my life was over. Uh, but you know, uh, Chris, I wasn't one of those guys that necessarily realized his life was over and then reached for something that could give me life. I just kind of wallowed in it. If that makes sense. Uh, I just kind of accepted the reality that my life was over and then said, okay, uh, I guess I'm just going to accept that and keep that and and go from there um and so yeah i i go to prison um, i'm fighting my case on appeals and uh, long story short i end up beating the case uh several years later and i get released and um upon my release you know the cops hem me up and say hey no matter what we got to do we're going to get you off the streets you were never supposed to get out of prison and I really thought either they were going to set me up or they were going to kill me. And uh, literally the same day, this uh, girl that I used to mess around with shows up and says, uh, hey, I'm leaving Houston and uh, I got this little girl, you know, she could be yours, which I knew that she wasn't, but it was my ticket away from Houston. So for the next several years, I just move from place to place in Texas, moving somewhere, working a job, get laid off, move somewhere else, work a job, get laid off. I was still getting high and drunk and, you know, coping with my trauma in the most unhealthy way possible. But uh, I, I was telling myself, as long as I don't sell drugs or uh, participate in any gang activity, then, you know, I can I can be a dad. Maybe I can have a job making $15 an hour one day. You know, that was probably the the most that I had hoped for during that time period. Yeah. 
How did you get then from town to town in Texas to Louisiana? So my mother and my grandmother are originally from Monroe, West Monroe, Louisiana. And in the early 80s, they moved to Houston. Uh, Then I'm born, and all I know is Houston. Uh, Well, my mom passes away when I'm 13. Uh, My grandmother, after uh, I go to prison for the shooting, um, you know, says, hey, well, I'm moving back to my hometown uh, to be around family. And uh, and so whenever I get out of prison, move around everywhere, uh, I ultimately land in East Texas. Uh, and I'm working at like a Chicken Express, and I'm just trying to get by. And uh, I ultimately ultimately get laid off from that job, and uh, say, you know what? Well, I'm going back to selling drugs. Well, then I get a phone call from my grandmother that says her health isn't good. Uh, it was around Christmas time, and I decided to come out and visit her. And I'm standing outside talking to uh, my aunt, and they're saying that they're going to put her in a nursing home. And I said, well, um, I don't want to go back to selling drugs, so I'll move out here and take care of her. So I literally went back to East Texas, gave the drugs to my roommate, gave him the keys to the apartment, loaded up, and moved to Monroe, Louisiana to uh, help take care of my grandma. And that's that's how I got here. And that's kind of a, I mean, from from where you were in Houston then to Louisiana, there's there's some similarities, but there's there's a little bit of culture shock there too, right? Oh, for sure, for sure, it was definitely culture shock. But that was kind of the hope. I was like, well, you know, I'll come to Louisiana. Nobody knows me. Maybe, you know, again, maybe I could get a job making fifteen dollars an hour. And so I move here. I start taking care of her, get her back on her feet a little bit. And uh, I go everywhere looking for a job, McDonald's, Taco Bell, nobody would hire me. Nobody would give me a chance. And I was just driving down the road one day, and I see this big brown building off to the right. It says Duck Commander on it. And uh, I go in there and put in an application there. Okay, so at what point then is this is the is the TV show going at that point? Yeah, so uh the TV show was going uh I had I had heard about it. I think maybe I seen one episode, but I didn't know that the extent that I knew was uh there was these Doug Dynasty guys and they're from West Monroe, Louisiana. Uh I didn't know anything other than that really. Like I couldn't have told you who anybody's name was on the show or anything like that. But I go in there and put in an application because in my mind, I'm telling myself, well, I'm going to put in an application everywhere. That way, whenever I'm telling people how I have to sell drugs because society won't allow me to get a job, I could say that I tried. And uh, I just, I put in the application and about another month goes by. At that point, I'm completely just insane out of my mind uh, riddled with PTSD, the inability to sleep, all kinds of, uh, all these traumas that we've talked about, not just from my childhood, but then being in prison, uh, the shooting, of course, that occurred and everything else. I was just a complete mess. And then, uh, I randomly get a phone call from them and they asked me to come in for an interview. 
and they eventually said, yeah, you can work here. What what did you start doing? So I, I start working there, and I'm just working in the warehouse, moving boxes and folding clothes for $8 an hour. And, uh, you know, people could tell that I was a little bit different, and they were like, well, how'd you end up here? And I'd, I'd tell people where I came from and what I've been through, and they were like, do what? And, uh, you know, then, you know, I, I'll never forget one time uh, this guy asked me a question. He's one of the buck commander guys. He said, well, how'd you get a job here? Like, who did you know? And I said, uh, I didn't know anybody. I just put in an application and y'all called me. And he was like, huh, I didn't think that we did that. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, that's what happened. And, um, you know, so uh, come to find out, uh, they actually played a, played a prank on the guy that was doing the hiring. They had a stack of like 2,500 applications from just fans and different people that would come by. And as a joke, the guy randomly pulls an application out of that stack and puts it on the guy doing the hiring's desk. And uh, that was my application. And so that's how I ended up getting the phone call. Wow. So after they hear that, they're like, oh, man, you're here for a reason. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm just trying to do my job. Don't come to me with no Jesus. <laughs> yeah, and, and hoping you'll work yourself up to 15 an hour. You know, that's, that's the big hope. Okay, that's Brian Rucker. You got to hear the rest of the story from from the, the Robertsons and others, and then what happened. You, you know that he's a counselor now, but you don't know the rest of the story, but you'll find out about it straight ahead. This is Chris Fabry live on Moody Radio. see the news from Ohio? The vote is in day after Election Day. A majority want abortion rights in the state constitution. How do you feel about that? If the vote had gone the other way, do you know what the 1,200 CareNet pregnancy centers would be doing today? The same thing that they've done day after day. And that is, they get up, they go to work, and helping women and men choose life. Today, they are going to give free pregnancy tests, free ultrasounds, free counseling, free coaching. There are men who are pushing for an abortion who are now learning what it means to be a dad. And there are women who are realizing CareNet is not just there to save that baby growing inside. They are here for the long haul. They want to support her. So if there's something in the news that is discouraging you today about the issue of life— a vote, of decision, click CareNet when you go to chrisfabrylive.org. I guarantee you what they are doing and highlighting will encourage and motivate you not to give up. Click the green CareNet button at chrisfabrylive.org today. Where if you click through the information for this program, uh, today's program, you'll see more about Brian Rucker. I'm still not going to tell you because we've just got him, gotten him to West Monroe. He's starting to work in the warehouse at uh, Duck Commander for the Robertsons. He's just gotten there. He's making $8 an hour. He wants to move up to $15 an hour. So so did the guys push up against the wall and uh, fill your 
fill your pockets with tracks and tell you you had to accept Jesus or you're going to be fired? Did, did, is that what they did? No, not at all. You know, I, I tell people like this all the time, like, you know, nobody opened up a Bible. Nobody pointed to any verses. Nobody told me that I was a sinner and I was uh, destined to go to hell if I didn't repent or anything like that. Uh, what these guys did was completely uh, change my heart uh, by saying the words, we love you. And uh, I had never experienced that before you know in the streets and everything you hear i love you from people where you say i love you to you know your your people that are in that life with you but there's always something attached to it it's not like there it's uh, unconditional these guys said hey man we love you and all they did was uh, give me more and more responsibility pour into me more and more and there was absolutely nothing I could offer them. And so it just did something to me. And uh, after they say these words, I love you, they start giving me more things to do around there, putting and trusting me with more things, which is stuff that nobody had ever done. And uh, they would just invite me to church. They would say, hey, man, you should come to the church sometime. And, you know, uh, I finally decided to go. And if I'm being honest, the first time I went was – just to go so that they'll see me go, and then maybe they'll give me a raise or something. Uh, and and I, I go, I go the first time, and I'm thinking, okay, all right, you know, I'm listening, kind of, and I'm just judging everybody. I'm seeing where everybody sits. I'm like, why are these people so weird? And then I'm like, okay, that was done. Uh, people see me go. I don't have to do that anymore. Well, then I get back to work on Monday and. Nobody mentions it. Nobody's like, hey, we've seen you at church. Awesome. No, there, nobody said a word about it. So I was like, crap, I got to go again. And so I went again, and then I went again. And the more I went, the more I listened. And the more I listened, everything that didn't make sense made sense if I put God in the equation. So I used to base my entire life on science and logic. Scientifically, I should be dead. And logically, I should be in prison the rest of my life. And I wasn't in either one of those spots, and it literally used to drive me insane. Uh, I would stand in the bathroom in my grandmother's apartment, staring in the mirror, getting high and drunk, listening to music, trying to figure out or make sense of my life. Why am I free? Why am I not dead? What is all this for? And I never could make it make sense at all until... I just simply put into the equation, well, maybe there's a God, and maybe that God has a plan for me. And so from that, I said, okay, I didn't have this road to Damascus moment. I didn't have this burning bush moment. I said, all right, if there is a God, and this God has a plan for me, and that's the only thing that could mathematically make this add up, well, then I'm going to open this Bible, I'm going to look at the Word, and if He is real, I will know. It'll be revealed to me. And so that's what I did, and uh, about a month later, I'm getting baptized by Phil. <laughs> was, there a, was there a passage that you read? Did you read the Gospels? 
what what was it that that pushed you over the edge that this this love that these people are showing you is love that God is is giving them for you and that he wants to love you was there a path cuz you told me in the break you'd never read the bible as a kid right 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 no no you want to know what it was honestly chris this is uh this is interesting i love that you asked that because uh most people don't really ask me that but uh actually uh, whenever I first decided that I was going to go to church, or, or whenever I decided, hey, I'm going to open this Word and I'm going to look at it, uh, I was living with my grandma there, uh, and uh, I said, well, I think maybe I should get a Bible or something, you know? And she said, oh, well, I got a Bible. I was like, Mamma, you ain't got no Bible. You know what I mean? Like, that's just the type of grandma she was. Like, like you ain't got no Bible. And she was like, bull crap, I got a Bible. And she said, open that cabinet there. And I'd open this cabinet, and it was a Bible that uh, some guy coming by trying to share the gospel with my grandma uh, had came and brought to her. And uh, and she was like, hey, you can use that. And I open it up, and uh, and I look in there, and, and the guy, whoever he was, complete stranger, he wrote uh, Joshua 1-6 uh, in the cover of it. And it says, uh Take this book of law, meditate on it daily, do not depart from it, and then you will have great success. And I was like, okay. And and that was just something that I did. I was like, okay, I'm going to take this book, uh, I'm going to meditate on it daily, I'm going to read it, and maybe I'll have success. What I didn't realize that the success that I gained was actually the salvation uh, through what Jesus had done. Yeah. You know, so so I appreciate you asking that because I don't get to really relive that and share that with people very much. Well, think about that fella. I mean, you don't know who that fella, <laughs> giving that to your grandmother, you have no idea who that was, right? No, no, I have no idea. I, she doesn't know who it is. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> like it's it like she didn't know, you know, she, she's like literally, you know, she was living in this retired living community, you know, a little one bedroom apartment here in Monroe. And I wasn't even supposed to be staying there. Like you're not like they're supposed to be the only ones living there. And uh, and I said, well, maybe I should get a Bible. And she literally, I got a Bible, and <laughs> this guy gave it to her, and and she just put it in a cabinet. Like, okay, thanks, man. Put it in the cabinet until I said, hey, maybe I should get a Bible. And I, I still use that that same Bible to this Do day. You really? Wait, well, yeah, I love that story. Because God's word's not going to return void; it'll it'll achieve its intended purpose. And I got a friend named Christopher who went to prison as well, and his parents had been telling him about Jesus, and they and his dad gave him his Bible, and Christopher threw it in the trash. He didn't want it, so he's in prison in Atlanta on a drug charge. And he's walking, and he's starting to think, you know, there is something about this. And he walks by the trash can in prison, and he sees a a New Testament, a pocket New Testament in there, and he picks it up, and he starts to read it. And that's when the light comes on, much like for you when the light came on. Um, What did Phil say when you came to him and said you wanted to get baptized? Well, that's actually kind of funny because uh, one of the camera guys from Duck Commander, his name is Lyle Sinke, uh, he was actually supposed to be the one to baptize me because he was kind of the guy that I was talking to the most at that point. Um, and so, like, we're there at the church, and I said, uh, you know, I told Lyle, I said, man, I, I think I, 
think I should be baptized. He said, man, I think so too. And we walked to the back to go get baptized, and Phil's getting ready to baptize another guy. And um, and Lyle says, hey, hey, here's Brian. He's ready to be baptized too. Phil, if you know Phil or if you ever, it's pretty, you're like, well, well, come on. And Phil baptizes me. <laughs> Well, come on. That is, okay, that's the that's the perfect phrase right there. Uh, Adrian Rogers just used to say, "Come to Jesus, just come to Jesus." And Phil says, "Well, come on. There's nothing. What's holding well, What's holding you back? What's holding you back from right. receiving what you could never earn that He's offering to you freely?" So here's the deal. I want to take our final break here, and when we come back, I'm going to tell you the rest of the story and what Brian has done in the intervening years that we haven't talked about so far. If you go to the website, chrisfabrylive.org, we've got a link to that I Am Second film with Brian Rucker, who now owns, well, I'll tell you all about that when we come back. This is Chris Fabry Live on Moody Radio. Okay, Brian Rucker owns the Awakening Program and is director of Celebrate Recovery, White's Ferry Road Church in West Monroe, Louisiana. He is a registered addiction counselor. You can find it, I found out more at chrisfabrylive.org. And and I asked you before the program, if we'd have gone back to, you know, when you were in Houston and I and you were told then, here's what you're going to do, you wouldn't believe it, Right. Right. No, for sure. Tell me about Celebrate Recovery. How many how many people will come each week? A, a couple dozen people? What is it? Well, so we actually were we're extremely blessed here uh in West Monroe and so we uh we actually have the largest Celebrate Recovery uh in the nation and so we do between uh an average of 4 to 500 people every Friday night. Uh, and then we have uh we have at least uh, 150 people in step studies uh, weekly, any given time, uh, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's uh, God has really uh, blessed this small little, you know, uh, section of the globe and uh, being a, a beacon of hope for people that are struggling. Well, it just shows how many people need recovery how many people need freedom from their hang-ups and the things that are holding them back and or maybe it's yeah. just your magnetic personality brian i don't think it has very much to do with me at all matter of fact i try to remember each and every day that none of this has anything to do with me uh you know i'm sitting in my office right now and and i have in in big words on my wall john three uh, 30, he must become greater and I must become less. Uh, because the truth is I, uh, I, I stand on the shoulders of the men that came before me and was doing this before me. And so, uh, yeah, I, I just think it's, uh, I just think it's Jesus, man. He has a plan for what we do here at WFR church and, and, uh, he's blessed. It. So I want you to talk to two people before we end one, the person who was, is where you were, who feels like this life doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't need God. I don't want God. I'm just going down the road. And then whether they've hit bottom or not, 
they don't believe that there's any reason to to really live or there's any meaning in their life. What do you say to that person? What I would say to that person is that that thought in itself is the furthest thing from the truth uh, that there will ever be. And that adversity is inevitable, but misery is optional. You know, we have an opportunity to surrender everything, all that we are, to the creator of the universe. And in doing so, we no longer have to face the trials that we have alone. We get to face them with his Holy Spirit and with the community that God puts in our life. And because of that, our misery is absent, and all the things that we face just leads to our growth. And so there's never too late. It's never a time where you're too far gone. There's not a moment where you will do something that God can never forgive you for. There's always an option. There's always hope. All you have to do is reach for it. Yeah. And he will meet you there. Okay, so now talk to the person who loves that person that you just spoke to, who's been praying and praying and praying and hoping and hoping, and it and they're still in the middle of the despair. This is never going to happen. What do you say to that person? Well, what I say to that person is to remember that your prayers are heard and that at just the right time, God will intervene. Sometimes we pray for fruit, and God gives us a seed. Sometimes uh, we we pray for a way out, and he just gives us a plan. Those prayers will be answered, and it may not happen in the time frame in which we want it to, and it may not necessarily look how we want it to when they are answered. But God loves your loved one more than you, and he is going to do everything that he can to never, never let that person uh, get to the point where they don't experience heaven and a life in eternity. But it's still a choice. It's still, and you had to make some really hard choices with your life. And and it's not all roses and cotton candy once you make the choice either. There are, there are hiccups along the way and and stumbling and falling, right? Well, I think it's uh, you know I think it's part of the process. Uh, I tell people like this: adversity breeds advancement. So in order for you to have growth, for you to have advancements in life, you got to face some adversity. There's no growth without pain. So for me, you know, I get baptized and then, you know, it's it's zero to 100 real quick. It's one day I'm helping out around the warehouse. Next thing you know, I'm going on these hunts with Buck Commander. Uh, they start using me on the show. I'm getting to do some really cool stuff. And I had went from being this this person that didn't have any hope to this person that had an endless hope. And then, because I was so young in my walk, used it as a liberty to do whatever I wanted and think that it was okay. And I started living this double life, and I ended up getting arrested again for a DWI and a possession charge. And in those moments, like I'm sitting in jail, it's three days before my episode airs on Doug Dynasty, I'm sitting in jail, and I'm like, how did this happen? I got Jesus. And then it hits me. It's like either you're for me or against me. There is no gray area. And my next thought was, well, it's all over anyways. But that's not how it works with God. It's never all over. 
So what happened is God's people, the people that God put in my life, show up, give me grace, disciple me through it, and then bring me to Celebrate Recovery. And that's ultimately how I got involved with CR. (laughs) Disciple me through it. I love it that you said that because Jesus said that he would build his church, the gates of hell would not prevail. But when he gave that charge to the people, it wasn't go and make churchgoers or or go and and make make, uh, people who signed the dotted line that I'm a church member here. He said, go and make disciples. And that can get hard and it can get messy, but it's worth it. Isn't it, Brian? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it definitely was hard and messy for the disciples that walked with Jesus. And, and so I think it's, I think it's going to be for us and it is going to be hard, but you know, that's where we live for the blessed assurance and not things of this world. Because if everything is based on my external circumstances, I'm going to always be frustrated. I'm never going to be uh, truly happy or feel that joy. The apostle Paul mastered this. Uh, because he realized that happiness is external, but joy is internal. So that means that no matter what happens to me, the important thing is what is happening in me. And and so, yeah, it's going to get tough. But as long as I'm clinging to the internal change and the thing that the Holy Spirit is doing, then then no weapon formed against me shall prosper. We prayed before we started here today that that there would be freedom. And uh, maybe you're listening and you have somebody in your life that you've been praying for and you just have felt so distraught about it, maybe depressed about it, that God hasn't moved in that life. Maybe the freedom that you need is to keep going today. Just trust in what he's doing in that person that you care about. Or maybe you need the kind of freedom that Brian has found because of the grace of God the mercy of God. Reach out to Christ today. If you text the word gospel to 1-800-600-9624, we'll send you some scripture that will lead you through that, how to surrender. And then and then it's up to you to plug in, to, to get involved with a group and let, let them uh, disciple you through it, as Brian just said. Text gospel to 800 600 9624. Brian, I'm so glad that you've told your story. You keep telling it, keep doing the counseling there at the Awakening Program and Celebrate Recovery, and uh, hope get to meet you face-to-face. One of these days we will, friend. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it, and it was a blessed, it was a complete blessing to be a part of this today, man. Thank you for having me. Same here. Brian Rucker. You can see the I Am Second film. We have it linked there at chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org. Isn't it great to, to see the power of God, the power of transformation at work? Chris Fabry Live is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for listening.